to Five Nine, the official podcast of the Fierce Telecom and Technology Group. Join us each week for the latest insights on 5G, millimeter wave, AI, electronics, sensors, networking, infrastructure, and more in the communications and technology space. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Five Nine podcast. Of course, the podcast we used to be called the Fierce Telecom podcast, but as always, same great content for you, just a different name. And this week, we have something a little bit special for you to bring the year into wrap. And I've invited three of the finest minds here at Fierce to join me and give a bit of a summary of what we've experienced throughout 2022. And for that, we've got Linda Hardesty, our editor-in-chief at Fierce Wireless, and she's joined by Monica Allivan and Diana Gouverts. So I look forward to hearing their thoughts on what's happened and perhaps what we can look ahead to in the new year. So let me hand it over to Linda now, who will manage the interview. So Linda, over to you. Okay, great. Thank you, Alejandro. Um, yeah, so as um, Alejandro said, I'm the editor-in-chief of the telecom group at Fierce Wireless and Fierce Telecom. So typically at the end of the year, we write some articles that kind of uh, round up the biggest topics or stories of the year. And that's what we're going to be talking about on today's podcast. Uh, so first, I wanted to kick it off with talking a little bit about one of the biggest and rather unexpected topics of the year, and that is satellite broadband that would connect directly to regular cell phones. So um, two companies in particular have been working on this technology for a few years, and those companies are Link Global and AST Space Mobile, and they have been working on the idea of having cellular base stations in the sky or in space that can connect directly to mobile phones on Earth. Um, both of those companies were formed in 2017, and they both use low Earth orbit satellites. Um, but I wonder sometimes if it expectations about all of this are set maybe a little too high. Um, by the end of December this month, Link Global will have launched three commercial ready satellites. Um, and it says it's going to need about a thousand satellites um, for full continuous broadband coverage. Uh, AST Space Mobile has only launched one satellite, actually a test satellite and then um, a regular satellite, and it plans for a constellation of 168 total satellites. Um, AST's satellites are bigger, so they have uh, a larger what's called field of view, and that means that they need less satellites um, for full continuous broadband coverage. <clears throat> but still, I just wanted to point out that three satellites from Link and one satellite from AST is a pretty long way away from 1,000 satellites or even 168 satellites. Um, also, it's my understanding that when a satellite passes over, it can provide connectivity for a matter of minutes, um, so not very long. So it becomes pretty obvious that a lot of satellites are going to be needed. Um, and I think this is something that a, a lot of people who are super excited about all of this um, may not realize. All right, so um, I want to bring in Diana and Monica. 
and talk about some other things that were kind of big in our coverage area in 2022. So um, I think I'm going to start with Fierce Wireless. And Monica, as I recall, 2022 kicked off um, with kind of this crazy high-profile dispute between the um, Federal Aviation Administration and AT&T and Verizon um, regarding their newly acquired C-band spectrum. Um, a lot of that happened right around New Year's um, at the beginning of the year. So um, you want to talk to us about that and what all happened during the year? Yeah, it was kind of an end of 2021, early 2022 story um, where we weren't really sure at this time last year, Verizon and AT&T were going to be able to turn on their C-band spectrum, which they had spent quite a lot of money on, billions of dollars. Um, but the FAA and airlines and Boeing and um, were basically screaming that if they turned it on, they would interfere with planes and specifically the altimeters on the planes that helped them take off and land, particularly in bad weather. Um, so anyway, um, of course, it was really the airlines and aviation industry that needs to upgrade the altimeters, which they should have done years ago. But nonetheless, um, there was a lot of screaming and um, it wasn't even sure, you know, like our planes going to be, they were, you know, blaming the wireless industry for interfering with, um, potentially interfering with planes and then making it into this thing where are oh, the planes are going to fall out of the sky if you turn this on kind of thing. So naturally, if they bring in that kind of life or death sort of stuff, AT&T and Verizon are going to come to the bargaining table, which they did. And early in the year made some concessions and agreed to some stuff like buffer zones around airports and lower transmission um, for 5G of the C-band. Um, but there's a there's a lot of moving parts to it. Um, basically, uh, yeah, no harm was done, um, but, and they reached agreements to, to make modifications. So they were eventually able to proceed with their C-band. But I feel like this our coverage of it may continue into 2023 um, because aren't they still making some concessions? And Correct, yes. Yeah, and like the C-band, the way it was structured, um, there's another tri uh, a, a bunch of C-band that comes available at the end of 2023, and it also involves a lot more carriers and smaller carriers, and the FAA is trying to impose some, you know, codify some restrictions for them too, um, we're kind of watching how that um, rolls out. But, um, yeah, so obviously the carriers are going to make modifications because they're not going to, you know, risk uh, harming anybody. But also the, the planes, the aviation industry needs to keep going with their modifications on the altimeters. So that's also part of the thing. Yeah. Something I always think about every time I'm taking off and landing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. Um. All right, so I'm going to flip over to Diana now um, and talk about some of her fierce telecom coverage. Um, obviously, it was a super busy and productive year uh, related to all the federal funding for broadband deployments um, to close the digital divide in the U.S. Um, so do you want to give us a rundown, Diana? Yeah, sure. I mean, what a great year to be in telecom for sure. Um, so in terms of federal funding for broadband deployments, there are a bunch of different moving pieces, right? So uh, if we want to start with RDOF, that's kind of a continuation from 2020. Uh, the auction ended at the end of 2020. Um, 
And since that time, the FCC has kind of been working its way through um, all of the long form applications. So people kind of won, quote unquote, in the auction. And then uh, the FCC had to, to process their applications to see if they would actually get the money that they won. Um, and two notable exceptions there are um, LTD Broadband and uh, Starlink, who had their long-form applications rejected. And so that was, I think it was something in the realm of $2 billion worth of funding that they lost out on. Um, it was really a huge decision. So that was uh, something uh, that happened earlier in the year. And, and I think the FCC is still winding up its uh, ARDOF application reviews. Um, also happening this year, um, we had a bunch of um, American Rescue Plan Act funding or ARPA funding um, that has been kind of filtering down through the states. Um, you'll recall that that money can be used for broadband projects, but doesn't have to be. So we've kind of been keeping an eye on which states have decided to use it for broadband and how much. Uh, and that is filtering down through their grant programs. And then the big news that nobody could stop talking about was uh, BEAD. Um, and that is a uh, grant program coming down from uh, NTIA. It's $42.5 billion. That money is going to be divvied up between all the states based on how many unserved locations are in each Um and so that kind of ties into another issue that was prominent this year. Hopefully we'll get a chance to touch on it later. But, you know, mapping um, the NTIA is going to use maps from the FCC to figure out where all those unserved locations are. Um, they said that they are going to announce the state allocations by, I think it was June 30th, 2023. So that's another thing that is kind of continuing into next year that we will definitely still have our eye on. Yeah, Um so you mentioned um, with RDOF that the FCC pulled back um, the approval of uh, Starlink, SpaceX Starlink. Um, I just wanted to note that uh, we've actually been covering SpaceX at both Fierce Wireless um, in relation to its work with T-Mobile on um, space to uh, mobile connectivity. And then we also cover SpaceX at Fierce Telecom um, related to its work with Starlink um, to try and bring broadband to remote areas and close the digital divide. Uh, but then, of course, as Diana mentioned, um, it's had some troubles with the FCC in terms of um, its RDOF application. Um, all right, Diana, you had mentioned that uh, about broadband maps, and I know We've been waiting and waiting um, for years, I, I guess we could say, for good broadband maps. And then something happened kind of recently. Do you, you want to tell us about that? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, I think it was at the start of this month, the FCC just put out its the first iteration of its new broadband map. This has been something everybody's been waiting for. Uh, actually, I th I'm sorry, the, the map came out in November. Um, anyway, this has been something everybody's been waiting for. Basically, um, you know, since Congress passed legislation demanding that the FCC do so, um, there was a whole tangle uh, in that uh, the FCC couldn't get started until it hired a vendor. Uh, when it made the vendor award, it got contested. That delayed it. They also had to wait for Congress to allocate funding. So this has been a whole rigmarole to do to get to this point. Um, and that's a big deal. So the first version of the map 
got a bunch of praise from, you know, operators and industry groups for being a step in the right direction. Um, but obviously nothing's perfect, right? So one of the things that's going to be happening and has been happening since, um, I think a couple months now since the, the location fabric, which is just a map of all the serviceable locations in the country, um, and the, the data from operators came in. So those two components were overlaid on top of each other. Um, and what people can do is challenge both of those. So you can say, this location isn't in the right place, or I don't get the speed that this operator says I get. Um, and that's part of something called the challenge process. That's going to be going on on an ongoing basis, but there's an in initial challenge period um, that's happening right now. I think it runs through you know, the, the first couple of weeks of January. Uh, and then the FCC is going to refine its maps, put out a new version. And I think that second version is what the NTIA is planning on using to calculate the state allocations. But how is it looking at this point? I feel like I've seen um, news that already there are lots of challenges. I mean, are, what's your takeaway on that? Um, the maps aren't any good or it's just part of the process? I think it's part of the process, right? So a lot of the noise we've heard is from competing vendors who are saying, oh, well, our map would have been so much better. But, um, you know, I, I did talk to CostQuest, who is the vendor uh, for the location fabric about this. And they said, you know, the numbers that we're seeing uh, in terms of challenge locations are within what we expected. This is all part of the process. Um, so I think what I've heard is I think there's a little over 10,000 being challenged in New York. Uh, ditto, and I think it was Colorado actually just mentioned this. Um, so yeah, it, it it's interesting to see the states um, making the challenges, but it's also worth noting that there is a lot of money riding on these challenges, right? So you want to make sure if you're a state that you get every single unserved location that you have counted on this map because money is attached to it. It's not an exercise just for the sake of it. So I think that's another factor we have to think about when we're thinking about um, people complaining about locations being missing from the maps. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Diana. Um, all right. And then um, for our final topic, I wanted it to be about fixed wireless access um, because that has been a big topic in 2022. And as the name implies, it, it really crosses both fixed networks and wireless networks. Uh, it's almost like a contradiction in terms, right? Fixed wireless access. Um, and sometimes it's a little hard at Fierce to know where these stories fit. Uh, do they belong on Fierce Wireless or do they belong on Fierce Telecom? Um, and actually, we're writing about it, um, the topic on both publications. But Monica, I was going to ask you to tell us a little bit about what happened with fixed wireless access this year in terms of the mobile providers. Um, yeah, actually, it, it's been pretty fun to watch because um, there was a time when we had fixed wireless access was a big deal like 20 years ago and Project Angel was the big deal and it was exciting and fun, but it didn't, didn't happen. So now we're actually seeing it happen, especially with um, T-Mobile and Verizon. They're the ones kind of leading the charge here, and uh, T-Mobile, I think there are over 2 million um, fixed wireless subscribers now, and Verizon's over 1 million. 
Um, but it's kind of the bright spot in 5G since they're not making any money uh, really after they're spending so much money. On 5G, they're uh, not really getting a return, but fixed wireless is the bright spot, which is um, kind of cool to see. Um, and it, and also, because it's a little bit disruptive and too, like, um, the people are sick of cable and it's an alternative. So um, that makes it, um, you know, kind of innovative and cool. Yeah, um, I think we're going to see this be a big topic, you know, at least definitely during 2023. Um, it's interesting on earnings calls um, to hear the pivot over to um, fixed wireless and closing the digital divide um, from, from T-Mobile and Verizon. And, of course, AT&T has indicated so far that it doesn't care. <laughs> it's not going to get into um, the fixed wireless business um, in the same way that T-Mobile and Verizon are. Um, so, Diana, do you want to talk to us about your coverage of this topic from the um, Fierce Telecom angle? Yeah, of course. Um, so I think from Fierce Telecom's perspective, fixed wireless access, um, you know, it, it obviously has a place in that, you know, folks like Verizon and T-Mobile are offering it, as you guys kind of mentioned. Um, when we look across the rest of the broadband landscape, it's less competitive with fiber because of the speeds fiber offers, but it seems to be having more of an impact on uh, cable operators because um, they, their speeds kind of top out right now around, around 1.2, although um, we just talked today um, to Comcast, who's planning to roll out DOCSIS 4.0 and multi-gig uh, across a broader, broader footprint uh, next year. But um, yeah, so the cable operators have kind of been fighting against fixed wireless in the sense that they're they're kind of waging a marketing battle, right? You want to say that, oh, they're going to run out of spectrum. They won't be able to serve you in a couple of years time or, oh, their service isn't as reliable, um, you know, because we've heard from, I think it was T-Mobile that said the majority of their net additions are coming from uh, cable and, and, and the like. So, yeah, I... <sighs> It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out because we just heard from Verizon uh, CEO Hans Vesberg, who was talking about the whole spectrum issue of, you know, he's like, we got plenty of capacity. We're going to be fine for fixed wireless access. Um, that's not going to be a problem. So seeing how fixed wireless access can keep up as the speed competition intensifies in the broadband space will be interesting, as will seeing how operators handle uh, you know, an influx of customers and continue or not to deliver the promise speeds. That will be really interesting. And, you know, the the future of these battles will, will be determined on, on how well they perform. Yeah. And I wondered if either of you had any thoughts about Starry. Um, so while we're talking about how exciting fixed wireless access is and um, how it's boosting the earnings of T-Mobile and Verizon, what in the heck happened with Starry? Um, it was um, kind of a poster child not that long ago. Yeah, it, it, uh, it was a real, it, it was a cool, innovative thing, and a lot of people were pulling for them. But I think part of it might be um, the way it went to market. It, it had a, I guess, um, more affordable way because I used I, um, IEEE um, technology Wi Fi, version of Wi Fi, um, to to offer their service, but it wasn't 3GPP compliant. So I think that might have had something to do with the 
the way they could go to market with that. Um, that's just one thought. I don't know what Diana was thinking. Yeah. So I think the other the other issue was their funding, right? So they they were burning through cash as they were trying to expand their footprint, and at a certain point. Um, you know, if growth growth was coming along maybe a little bit slower than they had expected or they weren't getting subsidies or whatever else, you know, at a certain point you run out of money. And that seems exactly like what happened. And to be fair, analysts kind of um, flagged it as, as something that was coming. Um, if you don't mind, uh, just one other thing that popped into my head in terms of uh, the importance of fixed wireless is also um, – the way it is and is not being counted in terms of the amount of funding that's going out. So uh, I will be really interested to see how that plays out and whether that impacts Verizon and uh, T-Mobile's business model if they're, they're, you know, getting attacked. They shouldn't because uh, licensed fixed wireless access is being counted as service, but unlicensed services might be in more trouble. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, those were my questions for um, today's podcast. And thanks, Diana and Monica. Uh, we look forward to your stories on these topics, um, which usually run the week between Christmas and New Year's. Um, and we're all looking for, forward to the holidays for sure. So I'm going to turn it back over to Alejandro. Wonderful. Thank you, Linda. And of course, Diana and Monica, as Diana was saying, what a year to be in telecoms. And certainly I think this conversation has brought that to life and a lot to look forward to next year. So to our listeners, thanks for joining us today for this podcast. As Linda was saying, we have been busy covering all these news stories across the fierce digital assets in our newsletters. So if you haven't already subscribed or bookmarked those pages, you might as well want to do that right now while you think of it. In the meantime, happy holidays to you that celebrate and we'll be back in your feed in the, night, in the new year. Until then, take care and stay safe. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Five Nine, Fierce Telecom's official telecom and technology podcast. Follow us on Zencaster to get the latest ICT insights each week. Get the latest telecom and technology news at our websites, FierceWireless.com, FierceElectronics.com, FierceTelecom.com, and FierceVideo.com. See you soon.